How we doing, Parview? We good? Good. Good to see you today, everybody on all of our campuses, for everybody who's watching online. Uh, I, I, need, I need to start today by, by sharing something with you uh, that I've never shared with you before, but I think it's really important, you know, for all of us to kind of just get to know this. And, and that is that I, I love the game of golf. Um, I, I, I really do. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you this, my favorite people to play golf with are not people who are great at golf. Okay, uh, and I, that's great. If you're great at golf, that's great. But you're not my favorite people to play with. Uh, my favorite people to play golf with are not people who who uh, who dress great, though I appreciate that. And it's not people who oh, I got to be careful, right? I almost. Sorry, Tim. I broke your TV, Tim. Sorry about that. That's. Um, it's not people who own great golf club memberships, though. That's really cool as well. By far, my favorite people to play golf with are people who are gracious with the mulligans. <laughs> That's my favorite people to play golf with. And if you're sitting here right now thinking, I'm not sure what a mulligan even is, let me just kind of bring you up to speed on the world of golf. A mulligan is like when you're sitting there at the tee box or you're out on the course somewhere and you hit a bad shot and it goes off into the weeds or it goes off into the you know, trees somewhere and your friend, whoever you're playing with, says, you know what, take a mulligan which means that doesn't count. I'm not going to hold it against you. You don't have to put that uh, stroke on the scorecard. It, it, you get a do-over. It's like it never happened. And I love to play golf with people who are gracious with the mulligans. And uh, I've been thinking to myself, you know, uh, this week, well, what if you could take that whole idea of mulligans and transfer it over into other areas of life? Wouldn't that be cool? Like you're driving down the freeway this week, and uh, you're, you're trying to get to work or school or something like that and or somebody's house. And you're definitely speeding 75, 80, 85 miles an hour, which I don't recommend, but it happens. And uh, a police officer pulls in behind you, pulls you over. You're definitely speeding. Give him your license and registration. About five minutes later, he or she comes back to your car with a ticket. And what if you could just sit there and say, grab that ticket and say, thank you so much. And then just rip it up. And say, thank you for your diligence. But you know what? I'm going to make use of a mulligan. <laughs> I am. I'm just going to use a mulligan right now, uh, Mr. Mrs. Officer, and uh, that's what. And wouldn't that be good? Or you know, let, let's say uh, that you are overdraft in your bank, and you buy something, or some payment goes out automatically, and you forgot about it, and so they charge you fifty or hundred bucks or something like that, you know, because you didn't have the money, and you just call the bank and say, "Thank you so much for making me aware of where I am." But I just am going to need to let you know, I'm using a mulligan today. Uh, on that, and so just the, the overdraft fee, let's not you know, talk about that. Or, or what about this, closer to home? Let's say that sometime this week you're in a conversation with your spouse, with your husband, wife, or, or maybe your boss or somebody at work, and it's getting pretty heated, and, and, and you just tee off. I mean, you just you say some stuff you should say, and just even as the words are coming out of your mouth, you like drop the club, and you're screaming out, Mulligan! Please, 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 please don't hold those words against me. What, what I just said, please just let those words go. Wouldn't it be good sometimes to just be able to call Mulligan when you're talking with somebody in your family or at work or at school or, or something like that? The reason I bring this up is because in this series that we're in, we've been talking about this guy named Jonah. And Jonah has received multiple Mulligans from God. 
uh, he, he's, he's messed up, he's run away, he's hurt all kinds of people, and, and God has given him time to come back, and he's given him mulligans. And as crazy as the story of Jonah is, what we've really discovered over the last few weeks is Jonah's story is really all of our story. At some point in all of our lives, whether we've been in church for a lot or just a little bit, we've all kind of tried to run away and get away from God, and we've needed mulligans. And here's what we've discovered. This has kind of been the touchstone for the whole series. We've discovered this, that you can run from God, but you cannot run God. Of course you can run away from him. You can get away from him for a period of time, but you can't outrun God. Last weekend, Pastor Tim was here teaching, and we were in Jonah chapter 3. If you were around here on any of the campuses, and Jonah chapter, uh, I'm sorry, Jonah chapter 2 last week, and Jonah chapter 2, he's in the belly of a fish the whole time. The whole message is from the belly of a fish. And just in case you weren't here, I want to give a quick review uh, to some of the things Tim brought up because they were fantastic in chapter 2 before we dive into chapter 3. So so here you go. Uh, Chapter 2 recap. First of all, it's never too late to pray. Somebody say amen. Amen. It's never too late to pray. No matter how deep in the depths you are, it's never too late. Jonah is at the bottom of the sea. He's in the belly of a fish. He's deep down. Doesn't matter how deep down you are in life, it's never too late to pray. God often orchestrates the events that stop us from running. God gets involved. Sometimes those circumstances are not fun. But then finally, God's grace is guaranteed. No matter how far you've run, No matter how many mulligans you have needed, I have needed, God's grace is guaranteed. That's chapter 2. Today we're going to dive into chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to locate the book of Jonah. If you have a smartphone or tablet or whatever it is, Jonah's in the Old Testament of the Bible. It's only two pages. You know, it's short, 48 verses total. Chapter 3 is 10 verses. We're going to read all 10 verses, and then we'll pray and See what God wants to teach us this week. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. And Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city and he proclaimed, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. And the Ninevites believed God, and they declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And when the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne and took off his royal robes and covered himself in sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the sackcloth, and setting in the dust is to signify his humility and repentance and coming kind of humbly before God. And then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast or herd or flock taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered in sackcloth. Let everyone urgently call on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violences. And who knows? Who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion. And he did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. Jonah chapter 3. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. Thanks for the opportunity we have to 
study this chapter in the Bible and the life of Jonah. I pray, God, that whether we've heard this story for a whole lot of our life or kind of just really hearing it today for the first time, God, I pray that you would do something special, and I pray that you would surprise us with your presence and your truth, and that we can apply to our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let's get started right here. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. As I read through this book of Jonah, this story of Jonah, over and over and over, I'll tell you this. I think this verse right here is my favorite verse and and possibly even the most important verse in in the whole uh, book of Jonah. that, That God came to him, the Lord came to him a second time. If you're taking notes, here's one of the first things I want us to learn, is that God gives Jonah a second chance. He gives Jonah a second chance, even after all the trouble that he'd caused, even after all the hurt and pain that he had caused to people, God gives him a second chance. And what I want us to realize, Parkview, is that the story of Jonah is not a story about how far a person can run. It's a story about the grace of God and the goodness of God that no matter how far we run and no matter how many mulligans we need, we can still come back and return and run with him. And maybe right now you're thinking, well, Todd, that sounds great, that sounds fantastic, but first of all, Todd, you know, here's, you're kind of arguing with me in your head while I'm preaching, and you're thinking, well, Todd, here's the thing, though, you don't know what I've done. And you don't know how far I've run. That's what you're thinking. And you know what? You're right. I don't know what you've done. And I don't know how far you have run. But I do know this. When you and I start to get tripped up by our past, when we start to get paralyzed and all preoccupied with our past, I want you to know something. That's the devil. That's the evil one. That's Satan trying to mess with you, keeping you locked into your past. And I want to tell you something. When the devil starts reminding you about your past, you know what you do? You remind him of his future, right? You, you remind him of where he's going in the future. Because I promise you something, Parkview. I promise you this. I promise that God can do anything for anyone at any time. He can't. He can do anything for anyone at any time that he wants to. You mean after, after the divorce? Yeah, even after the divorce, God can still use you in big ways. Even after my career goes off the tracks, even after, after financially I just mess things up, my family messes things up or however it happened, even after my career and vocation just goes off the rails, yeah, even after that. God can still use you in big ways. Even after like a decade or more of addiction, (laughs) oh yeah, oh yeah, God can still use you. Because you see, what we learn from Jonah is that God is the God of second and third and fourth and fifth and fiftieth chances. And he's not just the God of second and fifth and 40th and 50th chances for people in the Bible, people who lived thousands of years ago, which is awesome. But he's also 
that for us today, for you and for me. God has multiple chances for our misdirected lives. God gives Jonah a second chance. He gives you and I a second chance. But I also want you to see what happens after he gives him a second chance. If you're taking notes, here's another thing I want you to write down. That God gives Jonah the same assignment. This is huge for him and for us. He gives him a second chance, but then he gives him the same assignment. God says the very same thing in chapter 3 that he says in chapter 1. He says, Jonah, I want you to go to the great city of Nineveh. After all of this protest, God does not say, well, you know what, Jonah? Doggone it, I think you're right. Those stinking Ninevites, I'm just, they don't deserve anything. I'm just going to let them be. I'm going to destroy them. That's what I'm going to do. Jonah, there's a probably a better prophet. You're right. There's a better person for this opportunity and this job. I'm going to send you somewhere else. i got a better place for you now that you mentioned it, now that you brought it. No, no, no. God gives Jonah a second chance with the same assignment. And here's something you can let settle into your soul. Delayed obedience does not change the destination. Think about that in your past. Think about that as you head on into your future. Delayed obedience does not change the destination. God's still going to do what he's going to do. He's still going to get you. He's still going to get me to where he wants me to get to. Maybe just not in the same time frame that I was thinking, but he's still going to do it. You know, I have, I have this friend who uh, has a bunch of little kids. He has like four little kids, all elementary age. Some of you are in that space right now, or you remember being in that era of life. He has four little kids all in elementary school. He, it's, it's like he has his own, they have their own personal VBS every day, okay? It's just, it's their, their, their whole life is VBS, okay? It's crazy. And we're getting ready for VBS around here. That's why I bring it up. It's going to be a great week next week. Uh, so he's got these little kids, and especially during the summer, what he says is when it comes time, every, this happens every night, he says, some of you parents will resonate with this. Every night during the summer, his kids, when it's time to go to bed, they, they start to throw a fit. They start to pitch a fit. They, they start to get upset. They start to protest because, you know, it's summertime. You shouldn't have to go to bed early in the summertime. And, you know, they think they're being betrayed, you know, and all that kind of thing since, since summertime. And he said, Here, here's what happens. Here's what happens every single night during the summer. Two things. He says, first of all, I tell my kids this. I say, first of all, kids, you can protest all you want. You can flop around and scream and hide and do whatever you're going to do. But guess what? Number two, it's still time to go to bed. Oh, you're going to bed, okay? Because me and mama need some time together, amen? So, so you're, you're headed to bed. You can flop around all you want, but you're going to bed. And you know what I think? I think it's the very same way, a similar way with Jonah. I think God's saying to Jonah, okay, Jonah, first of all, listen, you can run all you want. You can resist my will and my leading all you want. You can get on a boat and you can head off to Tarshish. But guess what? Number two, you're headed to Nineveh. Okay, you're going to Nineveh. Just, your delayed obedience does not change the destination. And I think it's the same way with us. That's just the way it is. And so Jonah says, okay, I'm going to get, Jonah heads off to this great city of Nineveh, to, to speak for the Lord. And as I'm reading this, I'm thinking to myself a couple things. First of all, if God has gone to all this trouble to get Jonah there, which is a lot of trouble, first of all, Nineveh must be really bad. They must really need it. 
I mean, God's getting ready to wipe them out or something like that. These, these people must really need it if he's gone to all this trouble. The second thing I start thinking is Jonah must be an incredible preacher. I mean, if he's just sending one guy to this nation of hundreds of thousands, maybe a million people, I mean, Jonah must be able to light it up. He must be an incredible preacher. And, by the way, do you know this? Many Bible scholars believe that from, for, for Jonah to get from where he was at at the Mediterranean Sea, uh, down in Joppa area, all the way up to Nineveh, it would have taken several weeks, two or three weeks for him to make that journey. It wasn't just a few hours or, or a day or something like that. It was several weeks. So what I play out in my mind is, if he's going to take several weeks to make this journey, he has a whole lot of time to be thinking about what he's going to say, right? I mean, he's working on just the right message. He's crafting just the right words. He's pulling things together from the past and talking about the future. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been on the way to somebody's house because you're going to have a conversation with them and you're, you're getting ready to give it to them so you're putting everything together and here's what I'm going to say and here's what they're going to do and that's where he's at. That's, that, that's where he's at. He's putting everything together and, and, and his message is going to be unbelievable. Can't wait to hear it. Can't wait to see it. And in fact, I, I want us to, to look at it again because we've already uh, read through it in the Bible in, in chapter 3. But I would just want to make sure you didn't miss it. And so I'm going to put it up here on the, on the screen one more time. So check this out. Here's, here's the message. On the first day, Jonah started into the city and he proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Period. That's it. That's the whole message. That's the whole sermon. And I'm sitting there reading it, and I'm thinking that there's, there's not even like an opening illustration. There's no humor. There's not a golf club. There's no props. This, is, this can't possibly be effective. This can't possibly work. I mean, he's got to have more than that. It's got to be a little bit more robust. It's got, you know, but, but, but look what happens. 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. And look what happens. And the Ninevites believe God. And they declared a fast, all of them, from the greatest to the least, and they put on sackcloth. And when the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, and he took off his royal robes, and he covered himself in sackcloth, and he sat down in the dust. And I'm thinking to myself, Really? Did this happen? I mean, he, he, this, this stranger, this stranger comes into town and he says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. And everyone just believes him. From the least to the greatest, all the way up to the king. And you know what I thought about? Here's what I thought about. I thought about, you know what? And I like that. That would be so much, that would be so much quicker. And preaching. And that would be so much easier on me. So what I thought about this weekend is what, here's what, I'll, here's what I, maybe I'll do this weekend. I'll just walk out on stage this weekend, and I'm not, I'm not bringing a golf club. I don't even need the golf club. I'm not going to read Jonah chapter 3. I don't need to do that, and I'm not even going to pray. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to walk out here, and I'm just going to pick up my iPad, and I'm just going to stand here, and I'm just going to say this. Parkview, 40 more days. And Chicagoland will be overturned. And then I was just going to drop my iPad like I'm dropping the mic and walk off the stage. That's what I was going to do. Because I'm thinking that, that's kind of what, what Jonah does. I'm thinking, are you kidding me? And I think even Jonah has to be a little bit surprised by this. Because he says just a few bold words and everybody 
believes him. Everybody repents from the greatest to the least. And I'm thinking to myself, why, why was this so effective? Why in the world was Jonah's message so effective? Are we missing something? Is there something else that, that was going on there? And so as I've dug into the history of this, as I've dug into the historical record of this time period in our world, I've noticed several things. I've learned from other people, from the Bible and from other historical writers, several things that were going on in this part of the world around the Assyrian people, the Assyrian Empire, which is modern-day Iraq, modern-day Mosul. So we know history about this part of the world. Tim mentioned that geography last weekend. There are several things that were going on that, that maybe God was using to, to get these people ready. I want you to see these things. If you're taking notes, ch- check this out. First of all, two plagues. We know that in this part of the world, right in those same years, there were two massive plagues that ripped through this part of, of the world, and it killed thousands and thousands and thousands of people. So they would have all kind of been on edge and kind of wondering, you know, what was going on and thinking about, you know, what God was trying to do with the grain and the food and that sort of thing. This, another thing that happened is there was a huge solar eclipse. We know that sometime in this period, a huge solar eclipse. And listen, the Assyrian people, the Ninevite people, have many, many, many gods. We, we talked about that some last weekend. And especially they worship the sun and the moon and the stars. So to have a solar eclipse, you're thinking, okay, hello. God, God, the, the gods are trying to get our attention. The gods are trying to speak to us. And then another thing that happened was you had these warrior tribes, kind of these barbaric tribes. They were about 100 miles or so north of the Assyrian people. And we know that they are destroying all kinds of people and everything that is in their path. They're just weighing, wasting everything in their path. And the Assyrian people are probably gearing up at some point to go to, to war against them. And so you have these people. The Assyrian people who are as powerful as they can be. They're basically the most powerful nation on earth. And there's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of them. And they don't look like they need anything. They look like they're totally fine and totally just powerful and in charge. But yet they've had these two major plagues. They've had the solar eclipse and there's these barbaric tribes. And you see what God is doing? You see what God's doing, Parkview? Are you ready for this? God is getting them ready for Jonah. He's getting them ready. He's preparing their hearts to hear from Jonah. So as he walks into town, this stranger, and says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned, they believe him. And everybody repents. And I want you to know this. The reason that the Assyrian people, the reason that hundreds of thousands of people in Nineveh repented is not because Jonah chose just the right words. Or had this amazing, incredible message with illustrations and history and future and predictions and prophecy. It wasn't that. The reason they repented and turned towards God is because God had already preceded Jonah. And he'd been preparing their hearts to hear what Jonah was going to have to say. And that leads us to one more big lesson in chapter 3 that I don't want us to miss. This is so important for our lives today. Here it is, if you're still writing things down. God is already working in the lives of everyone that you meet. God is already working in the lives of everyone that you're going to meet this week. What's that mean? Well, it means, you know that person that God's maybe prompting you to talk to in your family or maybe you feel like God's been trying to get you to invite a neighbor to church or 
maybe somebody at school or your boss or something like that. They, they kind of you know, seem like I should talk to them. But what happens is a lot of times for you and for me, I think we all do this. What happens is when, when we feel like God's wanting us to talk to somebody, here's what we end up saying. Well, well, they don't really look interested. So I don't think they are interested. You know what, my neighbor, my, that, that person in my family, they, they, don't, they don't really look like they need anything, they, so they probably don't need anything. I just, I, 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 just, I just won't bother them. Or sometimes, you know, we see that couple in the neighborhood or that, that, those people at work, that family that looks so happy and they look so perfectly put together and all those things, and we think, you know what, since they look so happy and perfectly put together, they probably are. But, but here's what we miss. Part of you don't, 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 don't miss this. Here's what we miss. Oftentimes, looks can be deceiving. Amen? Our looks can be deceiving, and the vibe that we put off to other people about how we're doing can be deceiving. There's no way these people in Nineveh should have been receptive. I mean, they're the most powerful nation. They've got everything going on. They, you know, they, they've got fame. They, they've got size. They've got might. There's no way they should have been receptive to Jonah's message. But they were. But they were. Because God preceded Jonah. And you know what? It's the exact same way for you and for me. I think it's the exact same way. God is constantly working behind the scenes to prepare people's hearts to hear his message. He just is. Maybe a good way to write this down in, in your notes. We don't start at scratch with anyone. We just join God where he's already working. It's true. We don't start at scratch with anyone. We just get on board with God. We just join God in what he's already doing in people's lives. I know a lot of times, maybe for you, definitely for me, I start thinking, you know, God wants me to talk to this person or God wants me to talk to that person that I've known for a while, maybe my next door neighbor, you know, and that, that sort of thing. And what I end up thinking a lot of times is, you know what, okay, I, you know, I need to talk to him about Jesus or I need to invite him to church and that sort of thing. But if I do that, if I go over there and I start into this conversation, it's going to take a lot of my time because I'm going to have to tell him about the New Testament and then I'm going to have to tell him all about the Old Testament and I'm going to have to try and explain where all the dinosaurs went and stuff like that. And it's just, it's going to get crazy. And, I just, and, and here, listen, listen, oftentimes you don't have to do any of that. Oftentimes you just have to come over and start the conversation and what you find out is, oh my goodness, God has already been here just before me. God has already been working in their life. We don't start at scratch with anyone. All we do is join God in what he is already doing in people's lives. That's the story of Jonah. That's the story of us. <clears throat> About 15 years ago, I was a youth pastor, and I spent about 10 years working with students, junior high and high school. I love, I love students. I still love to speak and spend time with students these days. And uh, I, I want to tell you, as we wrap this up and head out into a new week uh, today, I, I want to tell you about something that I always did when I was a youth pastor, a game that we played, because I think it has really good significance to Jonah chapter 3. And so here's what would happen. Every summer, for about six or seven summers, uh, when we would go to camp, I would play this game with all of our students called Roman Society. 
And what Roman society was is I would invite all the students, maybe two or 300 students, into a large room, and I would set up on one whole evening of camp, I would set up this Roman society. And I would have all the geography. We'd have a Roman palace, and, and we'd have a Roman courtyard, and we would have a cemetery and a jail, and we would have several stores where we had Mountain Dew and candy bars, and I would give certain kids money so they could buy that sort of stuff. And, and then I would also set all the kids up in a class system. So I'd give everybody who they were in the society. And there was always a king, a Roman king, which was all, every year it was me, okay, because I'm, I'm the youth pastor, so I get, to be, I get to be that and, you know, carry out my laws for the land. And, and then I had a Roman guard, which was all my youth coaches and that sort of thing. And, and then we had Roman citizens, and then we just had free citizens, and, and then we had uh, slaves and that sort of thing. And then always we had two apostles, two Christians, two apostles, and they were secret. I told all the students, hundreds of students, that there was two of them out there, but I didn't tell them who they were. And the whole deal of the game is for these two apostles to try and share Jesus with people during the game. Okay? And then just before the game would start, I would give every one of the students, everybody, a number. So maybe a three or a two or a five or a seven. And here's what I'd say. So this number represents how many times... You need somebody to witness to you before you can become a Christian. You need somebody to share Jesus with you five times, and then you can become a Christian. They can take you over to that fake river and fake baptize you, and you can become a Christian, all right? If, if you, somebody just talks to you three times, that's not five, so it's got to be five times, okay? And, and then I would <clears throat> blow the whistle. And I would say, okay, here we go. And for the next two or three hours, we would be off in this Roman society. And it, it was amazing. It was always start out, I would, I would get all my Roman guard, you know, carrying me around on their shoulders and stuff like that. It was awesome. I love it. I can still remember it today. And then I would, all, I would immediately, you know, declare an edict that Christianity was outlawed and stuff like that. And, and then I would also send my guards off to start persecuting uh, certain students that had been awful during the year. Uh, it was, you know, we, we would pour water on them and we would duct tape them together and stuff like that. It was, it was very therapeutic for us. Um, we look forward to that greatly every year. And so we, we would, it would all be going on, and we'd just let this whole society play out for like two or three hours. And then to make this long story much more short, when the game was over, we'd blow the whistle, we'd bring everybody back into the room, and we would debrief from the game. And I would share several different questions. The first question was always this. So who knows who the apostles were? They were secret at the beginning, and almost everybody would raise their hand, oh, I know it was so-and-so and so-and-so. Yeah, that's right, they were the apostles. They were the one, you know, sharing people with Jesus, and then there were other people after that, you know, that sort of thing. So we'd talk about that and kind of have fun with who the apostles were. And then I would always say this, let me ask you, how many of you, how many of you were able to become a Christian? You had a number five, somebody talked to you five times about Jesus, and so you were able to become a Christian. I want you to just stand up right now wherever you are, and always, all across the room, a hundred or 125 or 150 students would stand up. And I would use that time to say, you know what? Everybody has a number. Everybody you come into contact with has a number. You don't always know what it is, but God's working in their life. And they've got a number. And then I'd always say this. How many of you students talk to my Roman guard? 
How many of you shared Jesus with my Roman guard? And the students would always say, we didn't share Jesus with your Roman guard because they were chasing us down and they're powerful and they have allegiance to you and they don't need anything. And I would say, you know what, I, I get that, but here's, here's what you need to know. I gave every one of my guards a number. And no one even talked to him. No one even talked to him. And we talk about that for a little while. And then I would always wrap up the whole debriefing time by saying this. How many of you students, if somebody had shared Jesus with you just one more time, that would have been your number. You had a four and somebody shared with you three times. How many of you, if somebody had shared with you one more time, would have been able to become a Christian? I want you to just stand up right now wherever you're at in the room. And always, dozens and dozens of students would stand. It gives me goosebumps right now. But what does that mean? Here's what it means, Parkview. It means that that person in your family that seems so antagonistic towards God... That person at work that seems like all they need is work, they don't need church, they're not interested in church. That person in your neighborhood that you just keep inviting but they're like, no, forget it. That person, guess what? They have a number. They have a number. We don't start at scratch with anyone. God is already working in the lives of everyone that you and I meet during this week. And some of you I know are thinking, you know what, Todd, if that is indeed true, that my husband or my wife must be like a number 79. Right? Or my kid, my student must be like a number 240. And you know what? That may be true. But listen. Listen, Parkview, don't give up. Amen? Don't give up because you never know what God is doing in their lives. And you and I never know how God has gone just before you to prepare their hearts for his message. Here's the next step. Here's the next step this week. Who will you boldly share Jesus with this week. I know this can be a little bit frightening, a little bit scary. But you have to realize it's not just you starting at scratch. If God's put somebody in your heart, if God's put somebody on your mind, I can promise you he's already been there before you. And all he needs you to do and all he needs me to do is join him in what he has already doing. We don't start at scratch with anyone. We just join him in what he's already up to. Amen? Let's pray together. God, thanks for today. Thanks for the opportunity to study the book of Jonah, to apply it to our lives. And God, I do pray that today as we head out into this new week, you would give us fresh eyes and fresh perspective on what you're up to. And you would help us to realize that the people that you're placing us in front of, it's not arbitrary, it's not coincidence. And that you're already doing stuff in their lives. And all we need to do is join in and speak a word 
about your son Jesus or the Bible or church and just let you use that. God, help us realize that everyone we meet has a number. We don't know what it is, but we know that you're bringing them closer to you. Let us be a part of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.